There are some things that dads should never see. So have a look at this, please. Life is always fair. I really enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I just love when the kids talk back to me. I don't care if you get a job this summer. I don't care if you get detention. I can't open this jar. See if mom can open it. Just take your time in there, okay? No means maybe. Hey, why don't you bring that ball inside and play with it? Hey, don't put that back where you found it. Just leave it on the floor. Ew, bacon. If you put a dent in the car, it's really no big deal. It's 10 a.m. Go back to bed. Look, whatever your friends are doing, just do the exact same thing. I got more than enough sleep last night. If your friends are okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Stop signs are just a suggestion. You don't need a chaperone. You don't need a seatbelt. You don't need a savings account. You should buy the jeans with the holes in them. Hey, we're all going to go to church, but you can just sleep in, okay? Can we please just hang out in here for another 10 minutes? Hey, can we get some more bickering back there? All right, bills. Yay, traffic. Woohoo, taxes. Yes, laundry. Hey, can you kids come in here and jump on my bed? Quick, go tell mom what happened right away. You don't need to finish your dinner. Hey, look at your phone when I'm talking to you. I wish I had a smaller TV. We got you that phone for a reason. Texting boys. All right, everyone, listen up. Mom and I are going out of town this weekend, so please, mess up the whole house while we're gone. Please throw a few parties while we're gone. Please forget about the dog entirely while we're gone. Hey, when you're finished pouring that, can you just leave it out on the counter all day? Thanks. Hey, what are you doing? I'm going to bungee jump out of this tree. That's a really good idea. Okay, we don't expect dads to say those kinds of things. Because dads are supposed to have more sense. Now, I'm going to admit, of course, us dads often get that wrong, okay? We often fall short of that standard. But we're supposed to say things eh, and do things that help our kids make wise choices and live good lives. But we're not just supposed to do this for our kids, it seems that the Apostle Paul didn't have any kids. He wrote in his letters about how he didn't have a wife. And so it seems that Paul never married. But Paul did see himself as a father to his spiritual children. And he took the responsibility to care for them really seriously. And so this week we're going to see how he did this with the church in Thessalonica. So that we can learn something about how to disciple like a dad. So we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10 down to verse 12. Just three verses this morning. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 down to verse 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 
In, in Matthew 20, chapter 23, Jesus challenged the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In their day, they were seen as the most respectable, the most religious people in their community. But Jesus saw through their act. He knew that everything they did was so that people could see them and praise them. And so he challenged their behaviour. How they dressed, how they wanted the most important seats at the banquets and the synagogue, how they wanted, they loved titles that set themselves above everybody else. So Jesus said to the disciples, You are not to be called Rabbi, for you have one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth Father, for you have one Father who is in heaven. Nor are you to be called Teacher, for you have one Teacher, the Christ. So a hierarchy of grand titles and positions is out of place in church. Instead, we're to recognize Jesus as our only Lord and Master and Teacher and God as our only Father. And so if we're following Jesus, we're called to humble ourselves, to take the lowest role, to put others before ourselves and to serve each other in love. That's because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is what Paul did. Last week we read how, we were, how Paul said that we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. Instead of demanding the money that was his due, Paul willingly set aside that right and worked to support himself so that he would not be a burden on anyone else. Like a mother caring for a tiny little baby, he willingly poured out his life for the benefit of them. But Paul didn't just see himself as their spiritual mother. He also saw himself as their spiritual father. He said, we dealt with each of you as a father with his own children. Now Paul, he wasn't taking on the title or the position of a father. That belongs to God alone. But in his ministry, he saw these young believers as his spiritual children and he saw his responsibility to function in the role of their spiritual father. In fact, that was his usual way of seeing those who he had led to the Lord. So in his letters he talks about Timothy, my son, or Titus, my true son in the faith, or my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. This was not an attempt to raise himself above them or to claim authority over them. 
Rather, this was a term of endearment. This was an expression of his love and his care and his sense of responsibility to look after these young believers and to do what he could to try to help them to fulfill God's calling on their lives. And this isn't just for people like the Apostle Paul. To some extent, God has called each of us to do this. Each of us who have trusted in Jesus are called to do the same. Jesus' commission to each one of us this morning is to go and make disciples of all nations. Every disciple of Jesus is called to be involved in making other disciples. Introducing them to faith in Jesus and helping them to increasingly live to follow Jesus. So none of us are called just to live our lives for ourselves. Instead we are called to see our responsibility to care for other believers, especially younger believers, to care for them as a father cares for his children. But how did Paul do this? And what does it look like to deal with younger believers as a father with his own children? Well, in our passage here, we'll get two basic lessons. The first one, Discipling like a dad is about setting a good example. This is a key part of the responsibility of fathers, isn't it? I know it's a, it's a scary thought, but kids are just like little sponges. They listen to everything that we say. They watch everything they do. we do. And they learn to copy us. They just do what they see us do. Maybe that's why so many kids follow in their parents' footsteps in the kind of career that they choose. I'm sure some of you know families where everybody's a doctor, or everybody's a nurse, or everybody's a teacher, or everybody's an accountant, or whatever. My dad was an electrical engineer, and my older brother, he works at Strathclyde University as an electrical engineer. But this happens in deeper ways too. Not just in superficial things like the career we choose. But we are influenced to think and to act and to speak in a certain way by the example of our parents. Now, some of you know that I chose biochemistry and not electrical engineering, so I didn't follow in my dad's footsteps in career way. But those of you who know my dad and other people who know my dad well, they say that the older I get, the more and more I look like him and also act like him, speak like him. My mannerisms are just like him. Now, I know that with natural families, there's a genetic component as well, but I don't think we can overemphasize the impact that we have on our kids through our example. And Paul here sought to influence this church that he worked in through his example. We saw a bit of that last week 
when Paul uh, was talking about with his attitude to money and to work. He wrote a second letter to this church uh, about how he worked hard in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. He worked hard when he was there. He earned his own money. He built, bought his own bread. He, he supported himself and his team to be an example to, to the church about how they should also work hard if they can. But here Paul talks more generally about how he lived. So verse 10, he said here that he was holy among them. Throughout his life, he sought to fulfill the duties that God gave him. He was devout. He was dedicated, committed to pleasing the Lord. He also said that he was righteous. This is about his integrity. In his dealings with other people. He always endeavoured to do what was right, what was just, what was honest, what was good. And as a result, he said he could be, he was blameless among them. His conduct was irreproachable. He lived in a way that didn't give any cause for scandal or for offence. Now, of course, that didn't stop other people from accusing him. But no one could prove anything against him because of how he lived. And so he could ask these Thessalonian Christians to remember how he'd lived among them. He said, you are witnesses. You saw this with your own eyes. You can testify to the fact that this is how I lived. This is so different from how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law lived. In Jesus' day, Jesus said about them, Do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Their job was to teach the Scriptures, and they did that to some extent, but they didn't live it out. So you could listen to what they said, But you couldn't follow what they did if you wanted to honour God. But Paul, when he was in Thessalonica, he lived out his faith in Christ. He practised what he preached. And so like a father to his kids, he could set himself as an example for them to follow. This is what Paul said or wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. But I think the really crucial thing here is that Paul didn't only call the Thessalonians as his witness. Do you see that in verse 10? He says, you're witnesses, and so is God. That's because this wasn't an act that Paul was putting on in front of the Thessalonians when they were watching him. 
He wasn't pretending to be holy and righteous and blameless just when they were looking, just in his public roles. He was actually the same in private as he was in public. He said the same kind of things. He did the same kind of actions. He had the same attitude to people there in private as in public. And this is absolutely crucial in our lives. God wants us to influence other people by setting a good example for them. Whether anybody else is looking or not. To live for Him in public, yeah, but also in private. To be holy because we're committed to pleasing God. To be righteous because we do what is right in our dealings with other people. To be blameless because we don't do anything we're ashamed of. Now, of course, I hope you realize that we can't do this in our own strength. I hope we're all honest enough with ourselves to say, look, that's not how I would naturally live. Paul here, he wasn't boasting about how good or how great he was. Because Paul knew that he was a sinner. And had it not been for Jesus, he would have been heading to a lost eternity in hell. Paul's message was that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So Paul didn't think of himself as a good person. But God's grace had not just forgiven Paul's sins. God's grace was also transforming Paul's life. That's what God's grace does when we welcome it into our lives. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. We don't live a different kind of life through guilt or condemnation, or beating ourselves up every time we do something wrong. No, we learn to live a different kind of life by rejoicing in and resting in the glorious grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we still fall short of God's standard for our lives. But God's grace is sufficient for us. So we can come daily and ask Jesus for His grace to continue His work of transforming our lives so that we can increasingly become blameless and pure. Children of God without fall in this crooked and depraved generation in which we shine like stars in the universe. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to set a good example by letting His grace work in our lives to transform us so that we might shine our light.
in this dark world. But Paul didn't just set a good example to these believers. He also spoke encouraging words to them. It says in verse 12, he dealt with them as a father by encouraging, comforting, and urging. As we'll see in more detail next week, or maybe the week after, living for Jesus is not easy. It's really easy to get distracted or discouraged, to feel defeated, to be in despair. So Paul came alongside these Christians as a father and spoke into their lives. He encouraged them, strengthening them, their hearts, building them up. He comforted them to cheer them up and inspire them to want to do better in their lives. And he urged them or testified to them about what God has done in his life to help them to keep on going in their Christian lives. And this is what God wants all of us to do. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. We all need someone to encourage us when we're struggling. To comfort us so that we want to do better. And to urge us to keep on going. But if we're going to do that effectively, folks, if we're going to be somebody who encourages and comforts and urges, then we need to make sure that we just don't share our own words. In the next section, in verse 13, Paul claimed that what he said were the words of God. It was the word of God that he shared. Paul wasn't like some dad who thought that he always knew everything, that he always knew best, and always wanted to, to pass on his ideas, his thoughts, his opinions. That wasn't who Paul was. He knew that what these believers needed was the Word of God. Only God's words could provide the real encouragement that they needed. So that's what he shared. And that's what we need to share. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with the wisdom. Paul writes to the Colossians. We need to speak God's truth to each other. Because only Christ has the words of eternal life that we each of us need. And of course, this is what we're doing this morning in church together, isn't it? We're here to share God's words with each other. To encourage and to comfort and to urge. We need to do this more than just once a week when we meet together as a church. Do you see in verse 11, 
Paul said here that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with, with his own children. When Paul was with them, he taught in the synagogue, maybe other public places. But he also met with each of them, individually, personally, sharing God's word with them. That was actually Paul's consistent practice when he met up with the leaders of the church of Ephesus. He said to them, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Taught you publicly and from house to house. Effective discipleship, helping somebody grow in their relationship with God, is often done out of the limelight, in private. Of course, it's great to be able to meet together today. We're really privileged, especially because so many other people can't meet up together, either in our church or in other parts of of the county. So it's great to be able to meet up this morning. But we also need to share God's word with each other in other settings. One to one. Or in small groups. It's often in these more personal settings that we really allow God to speak into our lives. This was Moses' command to the nation of Israel. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, he told them this, verse verse 6, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Moses wanted God's Word to be the topic of their everyday conversations. At the dinner table. On a journey. Just before going to bed. Just when they got up in the morning. I wonder if that's what we do. When we chat with each other. When we talk to our kids. When we talk to our friends. Do we just talk about the weather? Favourite topic in Ireland? Or about jobs? Or about politics? About sport? About the state of the world? Or are we like a father to his kids, taking every opportunity to encourage and to comfort and to urge from God's Word? Is that what we talk about, folks? Is that the general topic of our conversation? But finally, what is the goal of all this? What's the aim in in sharing God's Word? In setting an example? What are we to encourage and urge people to do? Well, look at verse 12 again. Paul longed that these Thessalonians would live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom 
and glory. Paul set his sights really high for these people. His spiritual children. He wanted them to live a life worthy of God. Now that doesn't mean that he wanted them to be good enough so that God would accept them and, and, and save them and bring them into his family. Because that's of course impossible, isn't it? None of us could ever be good enough to deserve God's love. None of us could ever accept, earn his acceptance. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. So this is not talking about trying to be good enough so God loves us and accepts us. Rather, it is about living a life that is worthy of God. Live away in a way that's appropriate, that's in keeping with somebody who has already been accepted by God. Who, is al- who has already been brought into a relationship with God that wants to respond in a way that's in keeping with what God has done in our lives. It's a life that's consistent with God's calling for us to be part of His kingdom and to share in His glory. It's a life that's a proper response to what Jesus has done by dying for us on the cross and rising again to bring us into a new life with Him. It's a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. One that depends on and reflects His love and His grace to sinners like us. That includes so much in our lives. But it includes things like resisting temptation. Because we want to please the Lord. Not because we're afraid of punishment, but because we desperately want to please the Lord. Repenting of our sin. Because we know that it dishonors the Lord. Rejoicing in our salvation. Because we know that we've been bought with the blood of the Lord. Resting in our identity as children of God. Because we know that we've been adopted by the Lord. Relating to other brothers, other believers, our brothers and sisters. Because we know that we've been united in the Lord. As well as reaching out to those in our community with the gospel. Because we know that they are loved by the Lord. It's about pleasing the Lord Seeking to please the Lord in every aspect of our lives. Not because we're afraid of punishment, but because we are overwhelmed with the love and gratitude for all that He has done in our lives. It's a life of worship for God. So folks, this is what we are called to do. God doesn't want us just to look after ourselves. To look out for ourselves and not care about anybody else. 
Rather, he wants us to see our responsibility to care for others as a father cares for his children. To set a good example for others in our devotion to God, in our integrity with others, in our innocence in this world. And to speak the word of God publicly and privately to encourage and urge others to live a life worthy of God. This is our calling to make disciples of all nations.